Dr. Robin Axelrod. On my drive to work one morning, I thought, how could I promote unity between OT and OTA students? How could I foster communication and leadership skills and promote our amazing profession? Welcome to my OT Journey podcast. Welcome to my OT Journey podcast. Today we're speaking with Karen Jacobs. And actually, this is pretty amazing because Karen Jacobs is a role model to me. The things that I see her doing on a daily basis are so motivating, inspiring, amazing that I am really so excited to speak with her today and I really thank her for her time. Karen Jacobs, if you don't already know, is an OT, EDD, OTR, CPE, and a fellow of the American Occupational Therapy Association. She's also the Associate Dean of Digital Learning and Innovation, a clinical professor of OT, and the program director of the online post-professional doctorate in OT at BU, College of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences, Sargent College. Welcome, Karen. Welcome to our podcast. Robin, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I also wanted to mention that Karen is also a past president and vice president of the AOTA. She's received over 40 awards and honors, including being the 2005 recipient of a Fulbright Scholarship um, to Iceland, uh, University of Akiri in Iceland. Um, she's the 20, 2009 recipient of the Award of Merit from the Canadian Occupational Therapy um, CAOT. She also received the Award of Merit from AOTA in 2003 and the 2011 AOTA Eleanor Clark Slagle Lectureship Award. Um, she's also additionally the founding editor of the International Interprofessional Journal Work, a journal of prevention, assessment, and rehabilitation. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, well, we talk you know, about, Robin, you know, my, my, <laughs> yeah. Well, my career spans over a very long time period. So um, your listeners, you know, you still have many, many years of opportunity to, you know, to make a, um, a difference in occupational therapy. And that's always been my goal to to help advance um, the science and um, the practice of occupational therapy. So you've come so far. Let's talk about your beginnings. Where did you start? How did you know that you wanted to be an OT? Did you know that you wanted to be an OT? And what was your education like? Well, I did not know I was going to be an OT because I didn't know what occupational therapy was. Um, I, I think at one point, you know, in high school or the beginning of college, I thought that I wanted to be a physician, um, and then I thought, you know, maybe that's not the right road for me, and I ended up getting my um, bachelor's degree in psychology and preschool primary ed, but at the same time, I had a, uh, a different um, career going on in parallel. I had um, a leather and ceramic business. And I was part of a, an art circuit in St. Louis, Missouri. I graduated from WashU with my psychology degree. And um, one day at one of the um, art shows, I was setting up, and I'm, I talk a lot. <laughs> I introduced myself to the potter who was sitting next to me, and her work was beautiful. Uh, but she was sitting there with an anatomy book in her lap, and she was reading it. And so I walked over interrupted her study um, for a moment and said, you know, hi, I'm Karen. You know, I'm excited to be next to you at this art show. It was quite a a lovely art show. Her work was beautiful. I complimented it. And I said, why is a potter, you know, reading an anatomy book? It was just fascinating to me. And she said, I'm um, becoming an occupational therapist. I said, of course, what is it? 
And, um, and we talked for a while, and she said, well, you know, after the show, I need to continue to dissect my cadaver. Would you like to come with me? And all of a sudden, I, it all sort of came together in that conversation. You know, I had thought about medicine. Um, I um, got my degree in psychology. I loved working with people. I loved the whole aspect of arts and crafts. And I, I used this this image it was like all of a sudden I was flipping my foot into this fluffy blue slipper where everything fit and um, it just made me become aware of occupational therapy I started um, taking the prereq courses that you need Um, at that time we were moving to the Boston area I applied to one school, and I look back and I think about how many schools students applied to now right. for occupational therapy. I applied yeah. just to Boston University, wow. was accepted into the entry-level master's program, and um, feel so grateful that I was set next to Michelle, at that time Manning, her name's Michelle Isserman, um, and uh, that she introduced me to occupational therapy. Wow, wow, that, that's amazing. I mean, you know, um, that, that's definitely meant to be. <laughs> it seems like it was meant to be. It was meant to absolutely. Yeah. Wow, wow. And how did you, I mean, how did your career evolve? Did you start working in a specific area and then you decided that you wanted to go into academia? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, when I moved from St. Louis to the Boston area, I was married and I had a, um, a daughter named Layla. And by the time I started the occupational therapy program in 1977 at Boston University, um, I was going through a divorce and I was a single parent. So it was very, very challenging to um, go to school full time, uh, be a single parent, try to you know make sure that I was doing all my roles, you know, in a in a uh, meaningful manner, and also uh, working. So when I was thinking about what I would do in occupational therapy, I was very influenced by my two level, two field works. One was in cardiac rehab, and the other was working with Vietnam veterans who had mental health challenges. And I I reflected on, you know, what kind of um, job I needed to be a single parent as well. And it made sense to get a job in a school system so I could be on the same or pretty similar calendar to my daughter, Layla. Um, So my first job out of school was not in cardiac rehab, and it was not in in working with outpatient clients with mental health challenges. It was at a school called the Little People School, and it was for um, younger children uh, with learning disabilities. At the time, it was one of the largest private in the United States addressing um, children with learning disabilities and also hearing challenges. So I became uh, an occupational therapist and my focus was on helping develop pre-vocational skills in the older adolescent group that was about 12 to 14 years old. So the school only went to that age. Um, The school was also exploring Um, whether or not it should start a vocational high school. And I have to say that the occupational therapy program that I helped create in pre-vocational occupational therapy was so successful that the school administrator asked me to set up the vocational 
aspect of the high school. So um, I was able to take some of the things we were doing in OT on a very small scale and make it a much bigger scale. So I was teaching cooking. That was a meaningful occupation for the students that I was working with. And we made a food service um, vocational training program. That was one of them. Another was horticulture. We had little grow lights in the basement of the school in occupational therapy. And um, we were able to get a grant to build a real greenhouse and the students um, learned horticulture. And it just went on and on. We had carpentry. We had a bicycle repair. Um, we were doing business skills. Um, the school exploded with activity. And I was the um, director of the vocational aspect of the school as well as occupational therapy, and that grew as well. And so I was there for a while. And then in 1983, I was asked to... Um, teach a class at Boston University on vocational, more work in industry, we'll call it that now, Um, I fell in love with teaching. I stayed at the learning prep school for eight years, and it overlapped with my teaching at Boston University. And then I became full-time at BU in the late 1980s. I still um, was doing uh, consulting. Um, my um, experience in work evolved into developing an expertise in the area of ergonomics and uh, continue to this day doing consulting in that area. So my full-time job now uh, has been at Boston University teaching in the entry-level master's when we had it, um, now in the entry-level OTD, and um, in the um, post-professional doctorate, which is online, um, and I'm the program director for that program. Wow, wow. So it seems like you are, you know, really full-time in academia right now, and I see you doing so many things with the students. You know, you mentioned to me that you live on campus and that you've been on campus, I think you said, for about 15 years. Yes, yeah, Um, and this has been an interesting experience because I I really didn't live in a dorm um, in college. Um, I lived at home, and then I got married when I was uh, 20 years old. So I lived, you know, in different environments, but not never sunk my teeth into the experience of living in the dorm. And so um, (laughs) 15 years ago, when my youngest daughter, I have three children, my youngest daughter went off to BU, um, I went off with her and um, moved into a freshman dorm, (laughs) lived there for five years. Um, and then um, had the opportunity a little over 10 years ago to move into an upper-class dorm. And when I moved into the upper-class dorm, and this is in a role as a faculty and resident, and um, at Boston University we have quite a few faculty that live in the dorms with the students. Um, The evidence literature discusses that it helps with decreasing attrition to have a faculty member living with the students and as a resource. And so when I moved into the upper class, and what I mean by that is uh, undergrads who are juniors and seniors, Mm -hmm. I wanted to create an environment. And um, as a faculty and resident, we need to have um, weekly programming for three hours each week. And so I thought about what skills did I have that were meaningful to me that perhaps would be meaningful to the students and also would build some skills that they could use when they graduate and started living uh, independently outside of the dorm. And so 
I approached the uh, Sergeant Choice Nutrition Center at BU, which is our nutrition center. We have degrees in nutrition and dietetics at Sargent College. And I said, could we develop this collaboration where you'll give me recipes that you've developed but really haven't tested in the kitchen, and I'll become a test kitchen. We'll convert my very modest kitchen (laughs) at the dorm into a weekly test kitchen where students will come from all over campus and community people too um, to try these recipes. And So to make it a level playing field, I said, could we please have vegetarian recipes? Uh-huh. And some are vegan as well, so that everybody felt welcome. So uh-huh. now, 10 years later, we have a cookbook with our favorite recipes, and every Wednesday night, students from all over campus come to my apartment in the dorm from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m., and we make these recipes. Wow. What's been fun is the collaboration uh-huh. um, with nutrition. Um, nutrition sends um, each week a Sargent Choice Ambassador because as an occupational therapist, I can teach cooking skills, but I'm not an expert in nutrition. And that's what right. comes in handy, having the students there to be able to explain uh, the nutritional aspects of the recipe. Wow. That seems like an amazing, amazing collaboration. I mean, I hope the students take advantage of that. You're going to want to make me live in the they dorm. Do. Too. <laughs> well, they do. They, they do. And what's, what's really fabulous is I have many, many occupational therapy students coming, but I have students from all over campus, um, especially in my dorm. So, you know, we can have an architect major, an engineering major, you know, a bio major, someone in athletic training, you know, all different majors coming together because they know that eating in a healthy manner is, is good for them. And they want to also develop um, skills in cooking. And um, it's been really very, very rewarding uh, just on an individual basis to do this. And I love using social media, which is how we connect um, as well, Robin, um, to share, you know, what the students are doing. So every week, um, right before we have the Sergeant Choice Test Kitchen, and immediately following it, um, I post photos of you know the students uh, preparing the, the recipe. Yeah, I, I think that that is really amazing, I and mean, it's so occupation-based and meaningful, and you know, healthy wellness living, um, you know, is, is such an important part of our profession. And I mean, the way you combine it into that program is really, really amazing. Um, can I ask oh, you about? Well, thank you. Some books. I mean, I see that you have about 17 self-published children's books that you've co-authored. Yes. So this is um, something I've always wanted to do. So about 20 years ago, I wrote my first children's book. And um, I was very lucky that my first um, textbook was published with a major publishing company. So I was able to actually have a meeting um, about my children's book. And I remember um, going and meeting about it. And the, the, the uh, individual I met with said, Karen, I can clearly tell that this story is important to you, but it's just not going to make it as a children's book. So I remember that 20 years ago. And, um, and I, you know, I've, I always felt that I wanted to tell um, or I wanted to address a, a, a population of children to help them better understand in an accurate manner disabilities. I wanted to accurately portray different cultures and make it multicultural. And I also wanted to um, introduce occupational therapy 
in a, a manner that children would understand. And so um, for about five years after that introduction of, you know, don't, don't you know, go into publishing, um, technology changed. And um, I was asked to um, give a cycle lecture, and I was thinking about what, what would I want to do. And I decided to do a, a, a participatory action approach to my Slagle lecture. And um, I decided rather than to look at what I've been doing in research, which was in the area of ergonomics, to look at something I was very passionate about and had been doing for most of my career, which was promoting occupational therapy. And so I decided to come up with a couple of action items that I would do in preparation for my cycle. And so I went back to thinking about writing a children's book again um, and to focus it on um, backpacks because that was an area that I had developed expertise in, um, to write a story that was very meaningful to me about being a grandma and introducing um, a child with, uh, who was diagnosed with autism and to introduce occupational therapy and that so all those combinations came into uh, deciding to co-author this book and so I reached out to a colleague that I had been working with who was not an occupational therapist but was very interested in in writing a children's book with me and we did it remotely Um, her area of expertise was instructional design she actually was my instructional designer for our online uh, courses at Boston University and then I needed an illustrator and I remember going to um, my Brookline Rotary Club meeting I'm a Brookline Rotarian and I remember doing our happy hour happy dollar session uh, putting up a happy dollar saying I need an illustrator. Does anybody know anybody who might be interested in illustrating? And one of my colleagues who um, was president of a bank said, I've got a bank teller who's really very artistic. Let me introduce you. Well, that's how how full of Sophia's backpack came about. And that was part of of that participatory action approach to my Slagle. My Slagle was promoting occupational therapy through words, images and action so that book I self-published and I got hooked (laughs) on writing these stories and I offered as um, an independent study with students Um, I've written co-authored one book with my son and daughter-in-law Otter Awesome about a a blind um, otter Um, Mm. you know we have animals we have people um, and if anybody who's listening to this podcast would like to co-author a children's book with me, please reach out. I'd love to continue working with people. You can be anywhere in the world because we can use technology oh, wow. for collaborating. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so great. I mean, I think that also, you know, first of all, promoting OT is so, is so important. And, you know, you doing that through all these types of, um, you know, media and through books and, you know, all these campaigns is really amazing, but also the fact that you were, you could look at that experience of being turned down by the publisher as a failure and being really upset and just saying like, this isn't for me, I can't do this, or I'm, you know, I can't write a book, but you took that and you really, you, you, you thought about your passions and what you really love and, and, you know, and it came to you, you were able to do it and you're able to do it really well. And, 
I think that's amazing that people should, you know, the students, especially in clinicians, should think about things and experiences in different manners. Like, you know, it may not, in, they may fail at, you know, one time or hear, you know, news that they weren't hoping to hear at one point in their career, and they don't have to be down at that point. They could be down, you know, for a little bit, but then they should just pick themselves back up and think about really what they love and what they want to do, and ultimately they can attain their goals. Yeah, and you know, that's when I when I sort of reflect on my career. I've learned more from the lessons learned, so, you know, challenges like I described with the publisher, than some of the successes. And I think a lot of it is um, perseverance Mm -hmm. and being motivated um, and, and being passionate, like you said, about something you want to accomplish. And, you know, to come up with small steps um, that can help you get to that bigger goal. And that's always been um, sort of my approach. I, I can't say I was uh, the student who got the straight A's in OT school. I wasn't. Um, but I was definitely the person who was extremely committed and also tried to look at things in a different way. Um, I think thinking outside the box, I know we use that expression a lot, um, has been really important to me. I try to pick up on things that are a little bit different. So, you know, reading a magazine, reading a newspaper, reading fiction. I learn a lot from reading fiction. I'm in a book club, and I can come away from my book club with ideas for OT after a book discussion. Um, So just keeping your eyes open to opportunities, I think, is really important. And not giving up. Right, not giving up. Yeah, for sure, for sure. How did you start um, the National School Backpack Awareness Day campaign? That's something that is so widespread nowadays. And I think about, you know, I, as you know, I take that for granted, honestly, because I feel like, oh, that's for sure always been in place. But you were actually one of the people that started that. How did you, you know, how did this start? How did you think about starting it? You know, well, um, this all came about as being a mom. So I mentioned that, you know, I have um, a daughter, Layla, who happens to be an occupational therapist. <laughs> and then I have two other children, Joshua and, and Ariel. And I remember um, both of them when they were 12 and 14 saying, I don't want to go on the bus today. Will you drive me to school? And I said, okay, you know, come on, let's go. <laughs> Hop in the car and we'll go. And I, we were at a stop sign where their bus stop was and I Um, turned to look at the kids that were standing there, and one kid had a very heavy backpack, and another kid was just pulling around with him, and um, he didn't shove him. He sort of tapped him. The child with the very heavy backpack tumbled over backwards. Uh, His backpack was so heavy, and he looked like a turtle, you know, on the back of his shell. And I turned to my kids, and I said, how heavy is your backpack? And I do remember my son sort of, you know, rolling his eyes and saying, Mom, you know, you know didn't you realize it was heavy? <laughs> um, you know, and, and my daughter not only had her backpack, but at that time she was playing a saxophone, and that was on her other shoulders. So dropped them off at school and made a phone call to AOTA. And I said, there is an issue. And this is a long time ago. This is 1997. Wow. Um, and I think I was, president-elect at the time, um, I, I, I called AOTA and I said, you know, there's an issue with backpacks. And, you know, at that time, one of the largest employers of occupational therapy practitioners were schools. 
And I said, you know, this is an issue that we need to address, and um, I'm going to make some phone calls. So I um, made a phone call right away to the largest um, seller of backpacks in New England, and that was L.L. Bean. Uh-huh. I just made a cold call. I said, can I speak to your president? Um, they, they said, the president doesn't usually answer the phone, um, but let me put you into um, PR. Uh-huh. And um, I spoke to the PR person there, and he said, yes, indeed, we're seeing issues with um, carrying backpacks, but I'm busy, busy right now. Can you call me back in a, in, a, in a little while? So put that on my list, called him back, and he said, you know, can you drive up to Freeport, Maine, and we can discuss this topic. So drive up to Freeport, Maine, um, and this is, this is an interesting story about how to promote OT correctly. Uh, another thing that at that point I think I, I didn't do right but learned from my lesson. So I sat down at a table with um, many people from LL Bing, you know, the um, person I had spoken with from PR, um, some of the people who were designing backpacks, doing PR, and other PR people, vice president, a whole bunch of people. And I remember sitting down. I was, there were only two women in the room, and the woman and the other woman in the room sitting across from me um, immediately said, what, in, in not the nicest voice, said, why should we go with the American Occupational Therapy Association? We've been contacted by many other associations that seem to be more relevant to, you know, to children than you, you know, why should we go with your association? And before I could open my mouth, I remember the man next to me explaining occupational therapy <laughs> and in a very clear way. And I turned to him and I said, how did you know so much about occupational therapy? He said, I dated an occupational therapist. <laughs> and so the woman who was a little bit, you know, um, you know, I don't know if it was aggressive, but, you know, confrontational, shook her head and she said, oh, I understand. The American Occupational Therapy is the right um, association for us to work with. So that was the beginning of a collaboration. We kept that collaboration with L.L. Bean for a year. Um, we created with them um, trifold brochures explaining um, how to select, how to pack, and how to wear your backpack correctly. Um, that threefold brochure went out with every single LL Bean catalog that year. We helped yeah. create hang tags that went on all their backpacks that had the AOTA logo and our um, you know, way of reaching us. Um, we did a news video release with LL Bean as well. Um, it was a great kickoff to demonstrating that um, our profession was the right one to turn to um, for uh, a better understanding of the selection of backpacks, the wearing of backpacks, and, um, and, and also the packing of them. We decided after that year that we, we wanted to be independent of any uh, manufacturing company. And so National School Backpack Awareness Day um, became, um, was born. And um, what's exciting about it, it's the longest running public health initiative in occupational therapy globally. And it's been picked up um, by other countries. Um, I uh, did a Fulbright in Iceland, as you mentioned. I lived in uh, a town called Akareri and taught at that university. And um, I was able to bring backpack awareness there. That's still going. And they um, made it culturally relevant. So instead of 
at the point when we first started Backpack Awareness, we had a lightning bug as our mascot. It's now changed <laughs> completely, and it's a, um, a, a T-Rex, <laughs> O-T-Rex as our uh, symbol. But in Iceland, where they don't have lightning bugs, um, they needed a different mascot, and so they have an elf. And mm. that, um, na- that National Backpack Awareness Day has been going on for 15 years. Wow. And continues strong. And if there's more around the country that other countries are doing, it's been a great way of introducing the importance of prevention in our profession. Wow. That, that, I mean, that, that is something that had such an extent, such an impact on so many people and so many lives. I mean, not just as children, but as children progress and grow, you know, it, it makes a huge difference. Absolutely. So I think that... No, we do, we do it... No, no, we do this initiative on the college campuses, too. Oh, wow. wow. So, and, and for all of us. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, wow. I, wear a, I wear a backpack. And so, you know, faculty as well. So, oh, wow. you know, it's something that every single occupational therapy practitioner and student can develop expertise in. If they go to the AOTA website, www.aota.org, and just type in backpacks, the resources that are there, um, you know, we've taken evidence-based literature and translated it so that, you know, the general public can understand it. And I challenge people who are listening to this podcast to participate in National School Backpack Awareness Day. It's the third Wednesday in September every year. And if you can't do it on that day, you know, just do it close to that time period. And please let AOTA know what you're doing. Katie Riley at AOTA is keeping um, a running list of, of, of participation. And, you know, this is something that's really important and that we can make a difference in the lives of the people that we serve. Yeah, for sure. How did you get involved in AOTA? You ha- I mean, I see you had like a bunch of leadership roles. When did you decide that you wanted to be part of that role, part of a, the volunteer role and really volunteer your time to AOTA and, you know, hold positions there? Well, you're going to find this as an interesting thing. So students listen carefully. <laughs> so I, I mentioned that I was um, an entry-level master's student at Boston University. And when I first started the program, I set three goals for myself. I wrote them down, too. Um, didn't share them with any faculty and actually didn't share them with anybody. It was just my own um, intention that I was setting. So the first thing was I wanted to write a book. I wasn't sure what I would write about because I was just beginning in OT, but I wanted to write a book. The second was I wanted to um, get the letters F-A-O-T-A after my name because all of my faculty had that, and um, I, want, I wanted that. You know, they were my role models. I wasn't sure how I was going to get it, right. but that was a goal. And then my third goal was to become AOTA president. Now, I think if the faculty had seen those goals, they would have said, what is this mediocre student setting these stretch goals for herself? (laughs) And I always tell students to set goals. Set stretch Mm -hmm. goals for yourself. Uh, You know, occupational therapy practitioners, set goals for yourself. Make them them challenging and set an intention for yourself to reach them. And it may take, you know, baby steps to get there, but you will with perseverance. So... um, I became involved in AOT through one of my first volunteer experiences um, that 
required being elected, which was um, to become the president of the Massachusetts Association for Occupational Therapy. And through that um, uh, leadership role, um, the state association presidents meet at the AOT conference every year. And so that introduced me to other people. And I have to do a shout out to Carol Gwynn, who um, was working at AOT at the time and worked there for many, many years. She became my AOTA mentor um, and helped me with um, looking at you know, um, how I could use my knowledge and skills in different ways um, in leadership roles at AOTA. And that's the other thing I want to suggest to your listeners. Please reach out and um, be a mentor, but also have a mentor. And um, I've been in a mentoring group now um, since 1983. Wow. Um, and I, that's my, you know, it's, it's with another occupational therapist, uh, Nancy McRae. We've been mentors of each other for that many years. Um, I'm in a mentoring group with the academic mentors of the online post-professional doctorate and OT at Boston University. We mentor each other. We conduct research together. We present. Um, you know, look for someone who can be your guide, and a mentor is a perfect person. Right. Wow. I, I think that's so so important. Um, you know, I think students shouldn't be you know afraid to reach out because people, you know, like yourself, people are willing to help, and you know, Christians are willing to mentor and to give advice, and um, you know, I think it's such an important thing for their own growth and for questions that they have in terms of their career. Um, can I ask you about social media? I mean, know that you're involved in lifestyle by de- lifestyle by design and health matters at BU Sargent. Can you explain to me what those are and what your role is for those? Sure. I'm, I'm going to go back in time again. Um, so when I was AOT president, um, 1998 was when I started that role. Um, I wanted to walk the talk with um, helping to promote occupational therapy, and I learned at the time that local access cable. Um, in communities um, had to provide um, access for local people to start cable shows if they wanted to. So here goes my need to work with my my children again, and I asked my 12-year-old and 14-year-old if they would be willing to help me start a local access cable show, which we called Lifestyle by Design, as a way of letting people know about occupational therapy and to role model that anybody um, in the United States could, you know, replicate having a local access cable show. So that ran with my children um, for five years. Fast forward, they go to college, technology is changing, and um, I started doing lifestyle by design with um, a colleague who I met through Rotary, um, and technology again changed where the local access cable was now on YouTube. And so Lifestyle by Design um, was local access cable, but it was on YouTube as well. And then my colleague, Andrea, who I was doing this with, said, Karen, there's a whole other technology out there, and I think we need to morph it to podcasts. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, I don't want to make a change. You know, <laughs> I like what we're doing. She said, let's try it once and see what you think. Well, we never went back to local access cable. Lifestyle by Design became a podcast, and it became 
Um, that technology has exploded now. We were right at the beginning of, of doing it with Lifestyle by Design. And it's a wonderful communication tool. And so Lifestyle by Design has occupational therapy practitioners and students, but other people on. And, and our tagline is helping you solve everyday challenges. So mm. I encourage your uh, listeners to subscribe to Lifestyle by Design um, and, and listen to the stories that people are sharing. Well, when I took on my, my new role at my college, Sargent College, um, I wanted to uh, start a way of sharing, uh, using knowledge translation, all the fabulous uh, activities that the faculty, staff, alumni, and students are doing. And so um, we created Health Matters at BU Sargent. Um, I was able to reach out to the School of Communication at Boston University where they have a student-run uh, group called Unleashed PR to ask them if they would um, help with creating Health Matters. And so we are recording um, uh, episodes that come out weekly uh, that are, uh, have as guests, again, alumni, staff, uh, faculty, students, talking about uh, the very interesting things that they are doing. And so um, I encourage your listeners to sign up for Health Matters at BU Sargent and learn about you know, service learning. Uh, learn about what um, an AT, athletic training faculty member, is doing um, about um, ankles. Um, learn about um, what the occupational therapist uh, Jennifer Kaldenberg is doing with low vision. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. Um, and again, podcast is such a great medium. Um, I listen to podcasts while I walk to work. Um, people listen while they're driving or running or exercising in general. Um, it's an easy way to get your messaging out. And they're short. You know, they're under 20 minutes that um, you have to uh, find a little bit of time to listen to. And they're very engaging. I think that's so good for interprofessional education also because, you know, Absolutely, we're, yeah. we're so busy with our own profession, day-to-day -day things. You don't always get to look at what other professions are doing or how we could collaborate. So I think that's, that's a great idea as well. Um, I, I mentioned to you um, just a bad thing that you had taught in um, programs abroad, like in Israel. What was that like and how does it compare? Did you find any differences when teaching abroad or... Well, I'm very lucky. First of all, um, I teach, um, I, I do guest lectures virtually um, in, in other countries. So mm -hmm. I've done it with Iceland, I've done it in the UK, um, and, and Israel as well. But when I'm there face-to-face, -face, I love going to Israel, and I love working um, with my Israeli colleagues and the students there. And for me, I think the biggest challenge is speaking a little bit slower <laughs> because I have a tendency to speak um, quite, quite quickly. But it's really important. Um, we, you know, we all love occupational therapy, but it's important to understand the culture where occupational therapy is practiced. And so um, I challenge myself to become more um, culturally sensitive as I teach in different countries. And that's important. I count on the students to help me, I count on my colleagues to help me, and you know, reading the evidence literature prior to teaching. And um, so I'm looking forward to continuing collaboration in many countries um, and providing either virtually or on 
um, you know, in that country, um, different workshops and, and uh, seminars and classes. Interesting. Um, that, that's, I mean, definitely an important part of being an OT is being culturally competent. So I, I think that's such a, an important part of that. Can you just give us a few tips? You've given us a lot of tips for students, but in, you know, if you could shout out just a few tips for students, like what would be some tips that you would give them going into their career or new grads starting in their career? I would tell them um, to, to have the courage um, to think broadly about occupational therapy. I would um, highly recommend that they practice explaining occupational therapy in a clear manner to any audience. And don't compare us to another profession. Just say occupational therapy is. And, um, and feel confident in sharing what it is to anybody everywhere. Um, you never know who you might be speaking with who might say, oh, occupational therapy, yes, I could use occupational therapy in my medical practice or I could use um, collaborating with um, an occupational therapy practitioner in uh, an engineering project that I have or pharmaceutical. Um, just keep talking about it wherever you are with, with confidence and to have confidence in yourself using the evidence literature being occupation-based and client-centered. And set goals for yourself and then intentions on how you can achieve those goals. Find a mentor. Be a mentor. Go to an AOTA conference. Make a commitment to volunteer your time. Start at your state association conferences. Start at the ones at your school and move to volunteering you know, at AOTA, go to a WFOT Congress. Um, if you want to become a global citizen, um, reach out to colleagues in other countries. You can go onto the WFOT website and, you know, find a country that you'd like to learn more about. Reach out and say, can I come volunteer? Um, you know, this is a global world and it's easy to become a global citizen in occupational therapy. I think that's, that's such great advice, and I really appreciate you giving that to students. Um, I want to just mention that you know, you've heard about the podcast, Lifestyle by Design and Health Matters at BU Sargent, so if you'd like to follow, those are definitely two podcasts to follow, um, as well as Karen is on Twitter at Karen Jacobs OT, and on Facebook, you can follow Karen Jacobs to see all the amazing things that Karen is doing on a daily basis, and I thank you so much for your time. You're truly an inspiration to all of us and um, you know in terms of goals so, you know those are definitely a lot of my goals and just the fact that you've done so much and that you aspired from so early on is so motivating and inspiring to me and I, I really thank you for that and I hope students can gain that inspiration as well it was a pleasure speaking with you and I thank you for giving us your time and your your information well Robin thank you so much and I want people to feel that I'm approachable and Students who need to interview someone, feel free to contact me. I'm easy to reach. It's kjacobs at bu.edu. I look forward to meeting you at conferences. Um, and, you know, again, anybody interested in learning more about writing a children's book or wants to collaborate, or if you're in Boston on a Wednesday during the school year, come on over to the Sergeant Choice Test Kitchen. Just reach out to me and I'll share the schedule. So Robin, thank you again and thank you for your podcast.
I think it's wonderful, and I love listening to it as well. Great. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you to the student contributors. If you liked it, please subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. You can also follow us on social media, on Facebook at MyOTJourney, and on Instagram at MyOTJourneyPodcast. Thanks for listening. Go OT!